when we all consider ourselves part of one big body, this human race, we are all together. We are all brothers and sisters. It doesn't make any difference, your creed or your color or your background or your experience. We're, we're all one and we're all in this together. And that service to each other is one of our greatest loves. Welcome to the Casa de Confidence podcast, a podcast for women about going in the direction of their dreams and the confidence it takes to reach them. I'm your host, Julie DeLuca Collins. I am a dreamer, a traveler, visionary, risk taker. I am a lover of books, activist, philanthropist, and most of all, a supporter of women in their dreams. If you've stumbled into our casa for the first time, welcome. If you've been here before, I'm so glad you're back. Grab your drink of choice, settle in, and make yourself at home. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's... Supergirl. Supergirl? Did you know that today is National Superhero Day? They do now. Kaboom! Kapow! Bap? I don't know. You're the one who's the comic book nerd, not me. Comic books don't make noise. They make nerds, though. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. That was so good. I know you're laughing with me. I am so proud of me. Let's go back to our episode, though. Anyway... Welcome to episode three of Casa de Confidence. With my friend, the delightful Dawn Mox. She is a nurse and past president of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. She loves to travel. She wants to go to Ireland someday. Loves home, Max, her dog, and of course, her husband, Jeff. And Julie and Dawn have known each other ever since high school. And with that being said... On with the show. Dawn, thank you for being here. It is such a pleasure. I love talking to you. I could talk to you forever. But for the listeners who don't know you, and I would like for them to know what a treat and an honor it is to have you here, you are Dr. Dawn Garcon-Max, and you are an associate professor of the School of Nursing at the University of Portland. You have two beautiful daughters. Your acolytes are a mile long, so I, I would like to definitely give you the opportunity to introduce yourself and share with the listeners a little bit about you, your background, and I'm going to turn it over to you now. Okay, so I'm, I'm a nurse, and I think that's the way that, you know, when, and when somebody says, who are you and what do you do, that's always my answer. Um, And I never intended to be a nurse, but I ended up one. I've been a nurse now for 30 years. Um, I've been a pediatric nurse practitioner in primary care for 25 years. Um, And I, I think I'll be, they'll have to kick me out of the clinic when I'm too old and feeble to do the job. But I, but I fell into academia about 23 years ago when my second child was born and I realized that being in a small practice and doing hospital rounds and 
taking call and doing all that stuff was just a little too much. I ended up going into to academia at that point. And because of that, I went back to school a couple of times, got some additional training, got some expertise. Um, I'm a pediatric primary care mental health specialist. And so I do work in mental health care with children and adolescents that struggle from those issues. Um, and I've gotten my professional organization, my national professional organization, uh, the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, I've been very involved with for about 15 years. And I am honored to say, and I'm, we're, I'm sure we'll talk about imposter syndrome, so this is where mine comes out, right? So I'm honored to say I'm the immediate past president of that organization. Um, and so I, I've got two months left to my tenure, so they've got two months to figure out they probably never should have put me in the position in the first place. Don't be crazy. But, but here we go. I could not think of a better person to represent a group of committed individuals for an organization, someone who would work harder. And yes, I think uh, imposter syndrome is in full swing when you talk about that, because I have looked at all the things that you do, the people that you advocate for, the people that you fight for. And I know that you are for sure someone who is passionate about what they do and who they work for and who they represent. So I think they, whoever comes after is going to have big shoes to fill for sure. That's so sweet of you to say that. And I think, you know, I think the, the beauty and I think part of a huge part of our conversation today is, you know, is women, what is success and what makes a woman successful. And, and you could spend, a hundred years just talking about that because there's a million different answers. Um, but for me, I found a love pretty early in my career. You know, I go back to my baby books that my mom kept. Mm-hmm. And used to, I used to say that I wanted to be a pediatrician. And so kind of, I always, I, I must've been so impressed by the nurses and the doctors at my office that I thought that's what I want to be when I grow up. And I did med school for a year and went, oh, this isn't for me and and became a nurse. And I've worked with children. I am passionate about children and families, especially our vulnerable children and families that a lot of people don't don't remember. Um, and I found, I found my area, whether, you know, it was just the path that God placed me on or I fell into it. Um, but, but I really found this passion for this incredible portion of our population that does not get good representation. They don't vote. They don't have wallets. They don't have you know, they have lobbyists, but they're not big compared to some of the other groups. And and they're kind of forgotten. But yet every single one of us knows that if you don't take care of a child who has 18 years of childhood, you've got 60 years of stinky adulthood that follows. Yes. So, so it makes sense to take care of these vulnerable developing human beings when they're young so that they can be happy, healthy, and productive for the rest of their lives. So I found my niche and I think, I love it. I think because it's my personal passion and it gives me great joy, it is that translates to other people and that opens doors to success by whatever the conventional definition of success is. 
I could not agree with you more. I think that finding our passion is certainly something that contributes to making us the best version of ourselves. As you were speaking, I had this flash to one of those memes that I've seen on social media that mostly stay-at-home moms will use that reads, I am trying to not raise idiots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I think that the job of motherhood in really shaping these little people that are placed in our care is so crucial and sometimes forgotten. I think that society tends to focus on the accomplishments that are on the outside world in business, in academia, in different non-for-profits. When it comes to women, we tend to celebrate that a lot. But the work of really supporting, really advocating, really loving and shaping individuals that are caring, ethical, loving, passionate is so key. And I love the fact that you realize that those moms and parents and even the moms who are working outside the home are going to need a support system to also provide them with the best care and the best support system for kids. It's it's something that warms my heart because certainly education and kids is something that I've been very passionate about as well in my life. So I, I think that that's, that's super key. Now, This leads to our conversation a little bit, and one of the reasons why I thought it would be great to really speak to you as as an expert in this field, and we'll get into some of the fun stuff as well, but we are in a crisis here in not only our country, but throughout the world. I just got my certification in social emotional learning. It's something that I've been doing some work around for the past few years, but certainly went back and became a facilitator of social emotional learning skills, which is now being more recognized in schools, school districts, and in education as a crucial component of the skills and competencies that we must really help children with. What would you say to the parents that are home now with their kids that would be a key thing that they can do to help support their children through this crisis? So I think the most important thing when you're dealing with children is to remember, frankly, that they are children. And... I see it all the time. And I'm like, I'm a mom. My kids are in their twenties now. Um, so been there, done that, but, and still do it. Cause I don't think it ever stops. That's the, that's another one of those great lies is that you're a parent until they're launched. And then, you know, then you can do your, you still stay up at night worrying about them. You just don't hear from them as often. Right. That's right. My um, mom is up at night all the time worrying about all this. So I know what, that what's my baby doing. Um, in fact, right before this, this meeting, um, I, I had arranged flowers for my daughter. She had this big launch of her first big project in her new career. And the florist called me three minutes before we started to go like, I'm outside of the apartment. Nobody's answering the phone. What do I do? And I'm like, ah, because <laughs> I'm a mom, right? And right, that's you're a mom. So, so it's, I think it's important to remember that kids are kids that their brains are not the same as our brains. So the three-year-old that's having a temper tantrum because they can't lift a 40-pound bag of soil because they don't understand the concept of, I weigh 30 pounds, this weighs 40 pounds. It's just physics isn't going to happen. We 
we have a tendency to forget that our kids are kids. They seem so smart. They seem so bright. They seem to be asking such insightful questions. But in reality, what it is, is our children parent back what they see from us. So if we speak to them with big language and they hear us having strong communications with others, they absorb that. And they may pick up language that they don't know what it means. I I want everyone who's listening to this or watching this to just stop for a moment. We all got in trouble as a kid for using a word we shouldn't have used because we didn't know what it meant. We thought it meant one thing and we said it in front of our parents and was like, what are you, don't say that again. And, and yet we don't recognize that when it's not bad language, that these kids still don't know what they mean. And so I think it's important that we remember that they're children, that there is no reason, just like there's no reason to sit with a two-year-old and go, honey, how do you think your brother feels when you hit him in the face with a softball when a two-year-old isn't capable of understanding how people feel? You're wasting your breath on that. We really should be answering the questions and what our kids are doing when they're coming to us is they're expressing their frustration that they want to go outside and play. They want to be with their friends. They want to go to school. They miss their Nana and their Papa. They don't understand why we have to be in the house all the time. They are not looking for an explanation of the epidemiology of where this virus started and where it's going next and what this politician thinks. They just want to know that they're, they're bored. Right. They're tired of being inside of the house. And, and an answer of like, dude, I, like, I get it. I'm with you. I'm so tired of being in my house, but this is just something that we have to do right now. And, and maybe, and, and what they're asking for is our time and our presence and they feed off of us. So if we're watching pick your news network, I don't care which one you you, we're watching that all day and we're all, I can't believe this one's saying this about this and this one's doing that. And and why are they attacking him? And why is she doing that? They see this and they pick up on it and they pick up on our anxieties. And we know that right when a, when a baby, when a toddler who's learning to walk falls and we go, and and everybody sees them go from like getting up and then they start crying because they saw our reaction. And we learned to go, we learned it even when our brain's going ah, to go really neutral. Right. So that that baby doesn't start crying when they fall. But we forget that when it comes to our behaviors. So it's really important. Give your kids time to run and jump and play. Take, make, make a fort out of your sofa Right. You know, pillows. And and um, use your Cuisinart and make snow cones to put ice cubes in it and make snow cones. Do something fun or silly. Spend some time with your kids. If, you, you know, like I happen to have a house with a yard in it because I live in suburbia. Um, but if, if, you know, go outside, put a tent in your backyard. Camp out underneath the stars for one night with your kids or go outside and say who let's see who can recognize the most bugs if we go outside. Um, What might be let's 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 try to take pictures of leaves on plants and see who can find different shapes or colors of leaves outside. This is a 10 minute exercise because they're going to think it's cool for three minutes and then they're going to get 
bored, right? right? So it's 10 minutes out of your day to go do something with your children, to show them that A, you're present, that B, it's okay, that C, you can still have fun, and that mom isn't so freaked out because the child is going to mimic that behavior and just be with them. They're your favorite people on the planet. That's right. Right? This is exactly, for instance, in education, a big trend right now is project-based learning. Well, now you're at home. You are project-based learning at home. And everything that you talked about is really helping to stimulate, to create curiosity, is also helping your kids be able to gain a level of normalcy. Mm -hmm. You as a parent and as an adult, spending a lot of time with your kids outside of summer vacation and, and, and other vacations, it's giving you a time to also move away from the constant noise, as I call right, it, right. that the, the media will be. And as a reform um, media person that would be glued to the television for many, many years, I spent time just, I read every, and I, and I still keep informed, but I have learned that in order for me to be in a better place, in mindfulness, in, in a state of peace for myself, I need to also um, monitor what I ingest. Just like I make sure that I'm feeding myself good, healthy foods for the most part, I'm also ingesting content that is not uh, messing with my brain. I, I love also, you made the example of camping in the backyard, and my brother-in-law actually did that with my niece. And I thought it was adorable. It was in Miami. I don't know how they survived because honestly, I would not be camping in my backyard in Miami yeah, in nine yeah, degree weather. <laughs> right. So yeah. Dawn, you and I grew up in Miami. Speaking of Miami, that's the first time that I met you. And I don't want to age you and I, but we are fabulous women, no matter what age yeah. we are. <laughs> but you were a senior in high school and I was a freshman in college. And I looked up to you because you were the peer leader of our youth group at St. Louis Catholic Church in New Life. And that's the first time that I met you. And from that early age, you have been a leader and you have been someone who not only was in a position to help and support and be a peer leader to others, but you continue that throughout your life. I, I truly admire that. Now, obviously, we do have the same uh, background when it comes to faith. What does faith mean to you in your journey as you continue to grow? Uh, it, uh, I'm, I'm fumbling a little bit because it's such a profound question. I think, I think my faith is a huge part of my DNA. Mm -hmm. So I was not raised in a family with any faith at all. Um, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's fine. <laughs> and at 14, my neighbor invited me to this youth group <clears throat> and I went and I met this, you know, met some friends, including this one girl, Adriana, who became my, Adriana became my very best friend. And, um, I went home and met her parents and they, this beautiful, wonderful, highly functioning family adopted me. 
not legally, but in every sense of the word. In every sense you know, when, of the world. When, when Bobby passed away a year and a half ago, I, I was with the family when we brought his casket into the church. I mean, like, I, I am part of their family. Yes. And, and that church and that experience during those years of formation are so central to who I am. And it's so, when I hear you say, like, I've always been a leader, I just kind of, I kind of feel uncomfortable about it. But I, I think what it is, is that I, I learned pretty early on that you can sit around and fetch and complain and and nothing changes, Right. Nothing changes. Nothing gets better. We all can sit around and and I'm I have an Olympic medal. I'm a gold medalist in fetching. Actually, <laughs> um, I'm ridiculously good at it. I can compete in that sport too if I let oh, myself. Honey. Yeah. I, I, yes. Um, <laughs> or or you can show up and you can actually do something, and it doesn't have to be something big, right? It and and part of my faith, and I'm I'm Catholic. Um, sometimes and often in spite of my church, <laughs> I, um, I've learned that there is, because of my faith is this grounding in that when we're, when we all consider ourselves part of one big body, this human race, we are all together. We are all brothers and sisters. It doesn't make any difference. Your creed or your color or your background or your experience we're, we're all one and we're all in this together and that service to each other is one of our greatest loves. And so when people ask me though, you know, I'll, I'll have students or other people say, you know, talk to me about your leadership style. I've taught organizational leadership at a graduate level before. I, I think what my faith is, is it grounds me in this notion of servant leadership yes. and that in being present to other people, that there is a joy and a love, and to use the Greek word for love, agape, that selfless love. And I say agape in part because that has a lot of meaning for our youth group. Yes, it does. <laughs> that there, in that selfless giving of yourself to someone else, that there is a return for you. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It might be taking that old you know, jacket that you don't wear anymore and giving it to an organization that provides clothing for women that don't have a suit to be ready for interviews for jobs instead of selling it on Poshmark. And I've sold on Poshmark just like everybody else has. So like, this is not a judgment thing, right? I'm not, this is not from a place of judgment at all. But, but every time I've sold something on Poshmark, I went, okay, I got $40 for $200 pair of shoes. But if I give my jacket to somebody else, I feel better about giving that jacket away to somebody that does something good than it does to have that $40 in my pocket. Now I recognize that that comes as a woman of privilege, that that $40 isn't life changing for me because for some people it is. Right. But I think what my faith teaches me is that if you show up and if you're present and if you recognize the inherent dignity and in my worldview, it's the presence of God in everyone that you meet, that Mm -hmm. he is present and and there in all of us. And therefore, we disagree with each other or we have different worldviews. I still see God in you. You might drive me up a tree, <laughs> but I still see God in you. And I still respect the inherent dignity 
that you have as a human being, whether you are that schizophrenic homeless guy underneath the, the, the bridge or you are the president of the world, that, that there is inherent dignity. And my faith is so central to who I am. And it's, it's been interesting. So I have a trophy husband. I've been married for, <laughs> it'll be three years this July. So I finally got the man that I deserved, right? And um, well he's, served. He, he's agnostic. And so faith is not a part of his life. And I've heard him describe me to people. And he always says like, oh yeah, she's a woman, a very deep faith. And so I, I think what it is, is that I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. I'm, I worry, I'm going to be real honest with you. I worry sometimes talking about that publicly because I think there are a lot of people of a lot of different faiths that don't really act like they've ever read the tenets of their beliefs and aren't particularly good representatives of what people of faith look like. But um, I think that you hit the, the nail on the head. And I keep saying this phrase and I'm going to have to find another phrase, but I, I love the concept of servant leadership, because whether someone is a person of faith or not, servant leadership is a concept that is tangible enough for people to identify and embrace. And I, as you were saying, servant leadership, I look back and I know that for myself, I learned the tenets of servant leadership when we as peer leaders, we weren't the cool kids necessarily that sure people would, would say, Oh, those are the, you know, the, the cool kids in the youth group. But really we were the ones that showed up and pull those carpet squares from under the stage and set them up and would pull the chairs away. And that was definitely, we learned that by serving and doing that's what leadership meant. It didn't mean that we were the ones in front of the crowd just saying how cool we were. And I think that if we translate that to this day and age as well, as a, as a woman who has a lot of accomplishments behind them, it's important to also help other people realize and, and, and understand that what defines you is your willingness to give and your willingness to to serve and not necessarily the degrees or the the organizations that you've led and and certainly that's all important but the most important thing is is who you are at the core and i think that your husband also realizes that that it's that deep faith in you that defines you more than anything else and that that's i love that what i think it's important thing to teach our kids is you know we we start programming, especially our daughters, really early, right? You can be everything. No, you can't. It's a lot, right? So, so I am not a size six. I'm five foot four. I was never going to be a model. I can't sing. I was never going to be on American Idol. I'm a klutz. I was never going to be a ballet dancer, right? Yeah, you and I have that in common. We trip over things. So. Oh, it's, it's my two great talents in life is I always pick the wrong aisle at the grocery store to check out in because no matter what it is, it's, I'm going to be there 45 minutes. <laughs> there could be three people in the store. It's still going to take me 45 minutes to check out. Or I trip over things that don't exist. So we start with this early thing that you can be everything. You can be a mom and you can work all the time and, and, and you can 
you know, do everything and have this Pinterest perfect house. And, you know, it's a lie. It's a lie. When my kids were young, part of the reason why I went into academia instead of staying in the clinical practice is I was able to work outside of the home three days a week and work from home two days a week. And that meant that my kids only had to go to daycare three days a week. And I could take them to library time and I could have time with them. And I, my kids knew me and then as they went to school, I could be gone during the hours that they were gone and try to be home to get them when they got off the school bus, you know, on the days that I, that I could do that, right? So I, I think one of the things that I realized as a, as, as a working mom is, oh my gosh, I was like, I was up until midnight, like trying to make the perfect birthday cake for my kids. And I was stressed because my house wasn't immaculate and this, this, it wasn't decorated. And then I realized like my kids could give a flying flip about any of that. Like my kids were just as happy when I got up at 6am and went to the grocery store and bought their favorite breakfast cake or donuts right. as they were that if I spent all night making donuts from scratch, milling the flour in my house from some right. artisanal, you know, and if that's your jam, cause like I'm an artisanal baker, right. like, I, more I'm, power to you. Right. But, but it was like this moment that I had that was like the shelf kind of cracking a little bit because mm -hmm. we tell, you know, like you can do anything and you're right. Your gender or your gender identity should not limit who you are and what you do. I think we're all in agreement about that. Yes. But it is a lie that you can do everything. You cannot give 100% outside of the house and give 100% inside of the house. Right. It's if something's got to give. Something does. It's like any relationship, right? We've all been in relationships. Sometimes you're the needy one and sometimes you're the giver. As long as there's balance in that, that is sustainable. So there are going to be times that you're going to focus more on your work. You have a project launch. You've got some big initiative that's hitting. You're going to spend more time on that. Then you're going to have other times that your kids need you more or your family needs you more or, the, or like right now that all we do is look at our house. So, you know, like designing our homes has become our big thing, right? And we're all turning into chefs. That's okay. But, but we have to stop because I think women, we feel this. Women start, at, like I, I see eight and nine-year-old girls regularly mm -hmm. who will tell me they're too fat. Yes. Who will tell me that they don't like their bodies. I don't hear boys saying that at eight or nine years of age. I definitely hear girls saying that. Yeah, and, our, and I, our conception as women, and definitely I, I'm seeing this a little bit with my niece. She's six. And I I know that, like you said earlier, you became and went into this career path because you had some amazing people that emulated that for you and you saw it. And what I, I know I see in working with women and again, you know, the, the no BS program that I'm a mentor in, one of the biggest things that women struggle with and even young women and even my young ladies is not loving who they are, not and how many moms, right? Do they struggle with not wanting to be in the picture because mm -hmm. they don't like how they look or they're in the back of the picture because mm -hmm. they need to have the kids cover them and I, I think that we we need to live in a society where we start teaching little girls that, hey, it's okay no matter what you look like. And it's okay that you may not be the perfect size 
whatever, right? And there is no perfect size. The size that you are is right for you. And if you don't like it, then it's you change because you're in a place of discomfort, not necessarily because of an ideal that it's not realistic. Right. And, and I think that for, for women, we need to make it a greater point that, like you said, we we need to choose and be in the present and in the moment and be okay with not being perfect, being perfectly imperfect. Exactly. And I, I, I saw that there's so, there's so much talk right now about being able to model and, and having this life balance. And what I'm hoping with this crisis that one of the best things that comes of it is that we will see a lot more women doing their job, but also being a mom and blending that lifestyle and allowing the blend between life and career and whatever we do in philanthropy and whatnot. I, I think that's so important, Julie, because I remember when my kids were young saying to myself, like, I am so grateful I'm not a stay-at-home mom because I would not be good at this, doing this full-time. And and I have friends that love being at home with their kids. Right. And, and there, there are these series of lies that we get told, like you have to go to college. I have been a university professor for 23 years. That's a lie. You do not have to go to college. It depends on what you want to do with your right. life. It, right. it, there are certain things that it's a waste of time and effort, or it's like forcing a square peg in a round hole to force a child to go to school to fail in higher education, to have to get over that. Because... and because we don't all have the same path. It is not one size fits all. There are some of us who like bling. There's some of us who don't. There's some of us who like woods. There's some of us who like tile. There's some of us who like carpet, right? So, and, and that's okay. And we can all walk into other people's houses and go like, I would never design my house like that, but it's beautiful. It's that it works for them. And yet we, we give this thing that we're all supposed to be, we're, you know, and then we get these double messages, right? Be sweet, be nice, don't speak up. You don't want anyone to think you're one of those bad girls. Don't do that. And yet, you know, like, um, I'm a very strong personality. And when, it, when I see injustice, it just inflames me. And, and because what you see on the outside does not reflect who I am, it does not reflect that, that I was married to an immigrant for 24 years and that I have immigrant adoptive parents. And you look at me, you know, Susie Lucky Charms and go like, there's no Latina in her. And you would be completely wrong about that. And I recognize it in myself and every single one of us goes, we learn masks from a very early age. When you're a two-year-old and you have a temper tantrum and you don't get M&Ms, then you learn not to have temper tantrums for M&Ms and go, mama, I love you. Can I have an M&M? Right. So we learn masks early. That's right. We, we learn those behaviors for sure and carry them through our lives. And so we, we need to teach our daughters that it's okay to be who they need to be to be happy. If that means being in a committed relationship with someone, that's great. If it doesn't, that's great. You know, the message I gave my girls is education is exceptionally important. You may choose to stay home. That is your choice. 
if your partner has a heart attack or has a blonde that they run off with (laughs) and you have a family and you have not educated yourself and prepared yourself to step into a role to take care of those children because life happens. Life happens for sure. You have to have that. Um, and so you might choose not to use that. And I, I, like, I will go to bat for anyone that wants to stay home with their kids. There is nothing more noble in this world. And isn't it funny that the things that we value the most are teachers, healthcare workers, parents. These are all, we don't value them as a society. We, we say we do. We say we, we do. Heroes, which is a nice way of saying you have a job I don't want to do. Thank God I don't have to do it. But ye, what do we do then? We give people who know how to hit a ball, and I'm a rabid baseball fan. So yes, you are baseball, right? Um, but if I can hit a ball with a piece of wood really well, then I'm allowed to make thirty million dollars a year. But but if you teach my children, and and you know I have a daughter who's a teacher. Our teachers are becoming more parents to our kids than we are because it's, and I think it's, it goes back to our own confliction. We're so busy with work that we don't want to be the bad cop when we're around our children or we're stressed or we're bringing that crap home. And so then we're, we're not appropriate with our children. And so our children are responding to that inappropriateness or responding to that stress or responding to that lack of attention. And then we get this. And so it turns into, I'll just say whatever I need to. You know, so we don't realize that the the behaviors that we pattern, like when the when the new X square comes out, and you and you fight and pay double to make sure they get it within a week, you're teaching your child that when they want something, if they don't get it right away, it's not as valuable. Right, and I think that this is the mentality for for many women, right, and many women that are our contemporaries, or even some of the ones who are generations behind us, the, the millennials or whatever, what is it? X, C generation? I lose track. Uh, so you're the, the college. So, so I think that we teach them that failure is a terrible thing and it should be something that you should be ashamed of. And for me and in my path to career and in my path to becoming the best version of myself that I am today, and certainly that's not the best because I'm still striving for better. The only difference is that now I know that the failures that I make now are actually the blocks or the bricks that are going to pave my tomorrow. And if I run away from those failures or feel ashamed and not embrace them, then I am not learning the lessons that I need for future Julie. And I, and I refer to myself and men. And if you, if you see me on social media, you'll see me post Julie 2.0, especially when I go to the gym, because the version that's not, that's going to the gym today is not the version. Well, I'm not going to the gym today, but the version that goes to the gym, or that works out today is not that version that's going to be in the best shape in six months. But again, by me going through the conflict of, oh, do I want to get up? Oh, I need to get, I need to go. Oh, all right. My, he wants me to do what? And I have a trainer and, and I love him because he certainly pushes me in ways that I'm afraid to push myself because I think like he will give me a, a, a 30 pound weight. I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And if I were alone, I'd be like, I'm not doing that and walk away. Whereas if he gives it to me, I'm like, ah, oh, darn it. 
fine, I'll try one and then I'll do three. He's like, see, you can do it. Keep going. But it's in, or even if I can't do past two, then I know that I tried and then I can come back and do it again. And I think that a lot of times we don't focus on that effort that can certainly pave the way to becoming stronger or becoming better or more proficient at something. So you, you, I think what you're talking about, Julie, is resilience. And that's a big buzz right now. And nobody really, I think a lot of people don't really understand what that means. But I think in plain language, what it means is that sometimes our most painful life lessons are the ones that become most transformative. Right. And, and I can give you a religious example of that. I mean, if you're a Christian and you know what Good Friday is, you know that like the biggest disaster as far as the humans could see became the biggest win two days later, right? So I always tell people when I'm talking from a faith perspective, that one of the reasons why I'm a Christian is because my God is a God of disasters. He does his best work when it's a disaster, mm-hmm. right? Um, but but let's just pull back from that for a second and say like, how many times, go back to your childhood and think about things that are really sentinel moments in your childhood. And what you'll often remember are like, when you were in gymnastics class and you couldn't get... Uh, uh, the backflip and you couldn't do that right. And you finally got it in that sense of, yay, after you'd like, or for us, it was roller skating, right? Right. Oh yes, of course. How many times did we have bruises and scrapes and everything? But the first time we flipped around and went from going forward to going backwards and got the flip right back and we got it right. And we, you have me wanting to dance with my roller skates, right? You know, like, this is just freaking awesome. I've been working on this forever. (laughs) And and I can see it in my career. So, you know, obviously we talked about faith and we talked about the fact that I'm Catholic. So I, I started at a university in 1997 and I, I realized <laughs> based on my Facebook timeline um, that 10 years ago right now, I was going through this period where after having been there for, that would have been what, 13 years at that point? I, I had gone on the tenure track. I'd gone back. I'd gotten a PhD. I'd done a postdoc. I got a second master's degree because for a long time I was addicted to higher education. Um, and then I went on the tenure track and I went up for tenure and everybody's familiar with this concept. But what a lot of people don't understand is if you go up for tenure and you don't get it, they say, okay, fine. You're out of a job. You have a year to find another job. Good luck. And they literally have you work teaching for the next year. And then they give you time to go out and it gives, buys you 12 months to go out and find another job. So here I am 13 years into the career. I'd been asked to be the director of a program. Um, I started a new degree program and then they said, no, you don't get tenure. And it was very public because there were three of us that went up. And two of us got it and I didn't. And the way that they knew is because they all knew that we were doing it because there was all this talk about how we were all putting our stuff in. And then came the celebration of the other two people and my name wasn't on it. And they were like, why isn't your name on it? And right. so it was very public and I, and, and I was devastated. It was, it was not only did I fail, but I failed spectacularly and publicly. And, and I use this example with my students a lot because they'll fail a class as a freshman and go like, oh, my life is over. I'm like, honey, you're 18. Like you have no right. years left. This one class, you will not even remember it in 15 years. You won't remember me. You won't remember this conversation. None of this you're going to remember. But, but 
but in that failure, it, it allowed me to reinvent myself to go like, here I am. I've been doing this for a little while and I just got a public, you're not good enough. Right. Why am I? Well, then fine. If I'm not good enough by your standards that I'm not living by them anymore. And so I started getting involved with this professional organization that I spoke about. And I got involved in, in a writing project that has, that has ended up um, in, involving textbooks. And, and there have been so many other things that have happened and doors that have opened that I never would have considered walking through because I was living by what they said I had to do to prove being worthy. That, by the way, I didn't like. I wasn't happy then. So then I had this incredible freedom. Like, I screwed up. Everything was public. And then I had the end of a 24-year marriage very quickly. And I'm Catholic. I married my husband in the church. You know, it's, it, it was like, it was another public failure. And yes. I, it, it caused, and I think this is another thing that we all need to, to, to be willing to discuss. I, I was depressed. I was clinically depressed. And we all don't want to talk about that because it's being crazy. And, you know, you just have to pick yourself There's up. There's a stigma to, to mental health that we need stigma. to move from. Oh my gosh. And, and, and suicide is the second leading cause of death for 14 to 34 year olds in this country. That's huge. And it I is, don't think that we talk about that enough. We don't. And, and when you see someone who dies by suicide, that's a death to mental illness is what it is. And so, and I was clinically depressed and I, I thank God for my best friends and my family and the people who were there and who supported me. And then I had a health crisis and it was like all this like if you could imagine a mud pie in a blender, that was my life at that point. And then, and then it was like, there was this moment where I said, I can allow this to consume me. I can allow, I can sit and wallow in this because I'm choosing to sit and wallow in this, or I can sit and wallow in this because I don't have a choice. I need help. I need a way out. And for me, that was therapy. I went to therapy. Yeah. And I started working on the mess from my childhood and the mess from my failed marriage. And, and then I, re I started realizing more and more kind of who I am and I'm not perfect. And I do have imposter syndrome, which is that, that when I, when I would go and stand on a daze in front of 1500 people, Julie, you and I talked about this yesterday, I would stand behind the curtain going, uh, my heart beating out of my chest, like wanting to vomit. <laughs> I mean, like, please don't trip on your way up. Please don't trip your way up. Please don't trip on your way up. They're just going to realize you're a fool. They're just going to feel it. And, and then, of course, I did what I always do. Brain moving 100 miles an hour, talking super fast, you know. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying president-elect, I called her the president-erect. <laughs> and I realized as soon as I said it, and I went, yeah, because she stands really tall. And I just Perfect. kept moving. I acknowledged it. Yes, I said that wrong. I acknowledged it. I moved on. And I think that's that's resilience, right? That is resilience for that, sure. Wh whether your mistake is your boss calls you in and said you're doing substandard work mm -hmm. or the day that we all do as a mother when you're standing in the kitchen just screaming at the top of our lungs, 
right? Because we're right? just fun. And then you go, okay, great. I got mother of the year award. I was cruel. You're normalizing a behavior that I hear from so many women. And then thank you for sharing that because I've had many conversations with girlfriends in which they'll say, I am the worst person ever because they've had that moment. But it's important to know that, yes, we have those moments when we tell someone they're erect or we're yelling at our kids or we're failing in front of our our superior in a workplace. But understanding that, okay, let's acknowledge it and deal with it and then move on to creating a new circumstance for ourselves by the way we think. And I think it also helps when you, and, and you know, we're having this whole conversation, like everybody is capable of doing this. If you have anxiety, which is a, anxiety is the great liar that everything is a big deal that you can control your way out of everything. Like, and, and as women, we're kind of control freaks about things. Yeah. Just a a tiny bit, just a tiny bit. Like I, I always find it hysterical when I see parents like in church or in, in my office when they come in for like well baby visits and the dad's holding the baby and the mom's like, ah, 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 like you're going to, and like the reality is, is if his head didn't snap off during the birthing process. It's probably not going to happen at this point. Right. That was a fairly <laughs> That's traumatic, good to know. Good to know. It was a fairly traumatic experience for the child. Okay. Um, and so, you know, listen, you're not doing it right. Or you'll see the dad holding the, the happy baby and mom's got to put the blanket and give him the binky and fuck because it's and and think about think about the messages that we send we're telling our our sons that men are incapable of holding babies without women micromanaging them we're treating our the fathers of our children like they're morons and we're being control freaks when why is this the thing we're being a control freak about and i think it's based in our own insecurities that i'm not comfortable as a mom because no matter how many times you babysat no matter how many nieces and nephews and and godchildren you have you don't get it until you're, you're home and you're miserable and you stink. And for years, like I go to work and I give lectures and this tells you how long ago it was, you know, you're up writing on the board and I'd have like snot on the back of my jacket <laughs> that I didn't know about because one of my kids had cried and like snorted on the back of my jacket. Like, and I think you have to embrace the insanity of it all. Right. And, and I use, I laugh at stuff like that because like, am I going to, am I going to go like, Oh great. I just, I just spent the whole day with two year old boogers on the back of my blue jacket that everybody yeah. saw and everybody knew what it was. I'm like, Oh, well, my, my mom tells a story, uh, that I, and she used to tell the story from, um, from as long as I can remember. And uh, my mom is from El Salvador. She was Miss El Salvador in 1960-something. But So she was a pretty young thing, and I'm using that in a very uh, sexist kind of way. But uh, imagine this cute young woman, and she worked as an assistant to this big head honcho executive. And to mind you, my mom is someone who has a master's, but whatever, we're not getting into that. But, you know, that little uh, 1960s mentality. And she talks about the, she was, I guess, taking dictation from this gentleman and her, her underwear or her pantyhose fell off and she's standing in his office. 
And all she talked, and she tells the story in a much more funny way than I can. But she basically, all she said is that she kind of like stepped out of them and pushed them aside, picked them up and walked out. And Mm -hmm. I think that from an early age, listening to that story, it led me to see the behavior that you're going to have some pretty effed up crap happen to you and Mm -hmm. or embarrassing things and you can choose to be mortified or you can choose to go with it and kind of keep going and I think that as someone who trips many times in her life I have just embraced the fact that it's better to kind of lean into it and not uh consider could beat myself up for the imperfection of the moment or the circumstance or my action or the result of my action or somebody else's act, but just go with it. Because I think that if you lean into it, then you're normalizing something that can happen to everyone. I, I, um, I think that I have seen so many different people right now, right? That they're normalizing things that 10 years ago we would have definitely been mortified by. And Mm -hmm. I love that we're creating a world where imperfection is acceptable. Right. And And it's where imperfection is seen. Right. So, so it's, it's, um, there's a book for kids that says everybody farts. I love that book. It's a great book. It's a great book. Because you know what we all do, we all and do it. We've all been in a meeting where where we're talking kind of like we are right now, and then all of a sudden there's that rumble that starts in our stomach and comes up, and everybody in the room hears it coming, right? <laughs> because you can't control it, or we trip or we fall, and I think I think you know it, it, we talked about service servant leadership and we talk about normalizing things. I think what it is is that we need to be kind to ourselves and we need to be grounded. And as women, we don't do that. We don't. I'm looking at like the beautiful wine glasses that you have behind and the, and the crystal decanter with the beautiful, the beautiful decor back there. And, and this is a rental home, so this is not my color, but I'm embracing the aqua for the time being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. Well, thank you very much. And so, but, but I think like, you know, I remember times when my kids were young or when my kids were teenagers, just losing it with them. And then, then my, my parenting changed dramatically before and after my, the father of my children and I separated Mm -hmm. because I realized that, that once I got over my depression and I could actually be a parent reasonably again, Mm -hmm. that I started like telling my kids, there were a lot of things that I used to worry about. And I used to yell at them about and it was because I was worried about how their dad was going to react to it. Or I was worried about my own insecurities of things. And I decided to just embrace those insecurities. And because my kids were older, to be real with them. And it, we started having really good, really honest conversations. And, and, and that's the thing for old, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about younger kids. But for older kids, is you, your older children are going to make stupid mistakes. Of course. Hey, we like, were stupid kids in one point too, right? Oh my gosh. And and I did some really dumb stuff and I and and because I did, I had some very traumatic experiences. And so I wanted to protect my daughters from those. And so having honest conversation with your kids about, you know, I, I remember telling my kids, like, 
you get into trouble in the middle of the night, you're at a party, your friends are drinking, you don't feel safe, you call me, I will never get mad, I will never say anything about it, I will never hold it against you, I will not. And then my daughter called me one night. And she was there and her five friends and they were with kids they didn't know. And she's like, mom, I don't feel safe. And I'm like, ping me where you are. Show me where you are on your phone. I'll be there in 20 minutes. And I got the call at 1.30 in the morning. And I went and I picked up all the kids and I shuttled them around and I dropped them off. And I said, you know, I remember being in the car with them going like, do you want to go pick up your cars with your parents? Or do you want me to come get you in the morning to go take you? And I brought them home and I took her to bed and I tucked her in and I kissed her on the forehead and I said, I'm really proud of you because you got into trouble, you were in an uncomfortable situation and you asked for help because that's what we need to teach our children. When our children come home with an F, we don't go like, ah, you know, and you, and and, because I listen to these teenagers all the time with this incredible anxiety over school, because if I get a B in history, then I can't go to the right college and then I won't, won't have a good career. And that's a whole lie. Like you don't need to go to an Ivy League school. Even Warren Buffett's the first person to tell you that the people that don't send their kids to state schools are making the biggest financial mistakes they can make. And I had one kid that didn't go to a state school because it fit her. She needed a small school like mine that has 3,000 students at it with a lot of attention and interaction with her faculty, where the other one needed the football team and the and that experience, but but teaching our kids and being kind to herself. If you had a child in your house right now, I'm guessing that gorgeous, I guess it's like an iced tea lemonade dispenser. Yeah, it's a decanter. Whatever it is. Okay. So yeah, you have the nice decanter over there. But, but, But I remember there would be times kids would break things and I would lose my stuff. It's a $10 plate from Target. Now, if it's the last remaining thing that I have for my grandmother, then shame on me that I put it out where the kids could accidentally hit it, and knock it over. That's not on the kids. Yeah, I grew, I grew up in a house, in my grandmother's house in El Salvador. Yeah. She had gorgeous, stunning, stunning china. She had like several sets of china that she had collected when she traveled through Europe and crystal. And she would take it out for dinners, just regular family dinners, and she would use it. I remember one day we, she was... We, I was helping her and, and, and she had a maid, full disclosure, and we were cleaning it and she was showing her how to, you know, wash it. And, 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 and I was so excited that I got to help and I was carrying this crystal bowl and I slipped because it was wet and it was tiled floor and I dropped it and it shattered and I fell and I actually got a piece of glass on my knee. It's the only scar that I think I have. And, and, um, my sir, everybody was just looking at the reaction that my grandmother was going to have. And she was a very regal person. And, and she said, well, let's get you cleaned up. And it wasn't a cheap piece in, in, in now I'm understanding what it was, but I think that I learned the lesson that people in have a greater value than things. When we get mad that there's fingerprints on the white sofa, and why did you buy a white sofa when you have children in the first place? And and again, I don't have a white sofa. I have dogs. And I learned the lesson that I, I do have nice things. I don't have children. But if something breaks, let it go. It's a thing. And, and that's important. Dawn, who inspires you? 
Oh gosh, so many people. Um, they're the celebrity people like Jose Andres from World Central Kitchen, that who's been my celebrity crush for years. And for those who don't know him, he's Spanish, he's balding, he's pot-bellied. Um, but he started this amazing charity as a chef after the, um, or about 10 years ago. And he shows up and he feeds people. He's feeding people in New York right now. That's he's right. Yeah. In California. I mean, he's like this amazing humanitarian. And he has a great sense of humor. I have friends, dear friends. Um, my friend, Mary, who is just, she, she's regal and she's thoughtful and, and she's bold. Like, I think that's something that, and maybe it's cause I'm over 50 at this point. Like I'm, I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission half the time. If it's really important now, it's like, be bold about it. Like change it's it. One of my like, favorite mottos. Step up and like, step up and do it. Right. Face. You know, like for me, I'm, I'm a kid from Miami who grew up as an adult in the Midwest and that Midwestern sensibility really echoes with me. So, and I've sat in a room with senators talking to them about injustices against children. And I walk out of the room and I'm like, why the frick was I in that room? Like there could have been somebody so much smarter. And so, and we, and I start that and then I go, but you're the one who was there. And so you can argue about whether or not you should be there. And I think as women, we can do that. And then we, but we really need to let that go. We need to go out and we need to do and we need to change. So the people who inspire me are I, my uh, husband's best friend's widow, Tanya who has three sons and lost her husband of 30 years, almost three years ago now, or two to three years ago now, um, who still cries because she misses him. But she has created this incredible home with these beautiful children. And she cooks, she makes finger sandwiches for her boys when they come home and they ask for them. I'm like, everybody asks for hot pockets. Like, but like she's create, and it's not my world, but she is such an authentic loving. So the people who inspire me are people who are authentic, whatever your belief system is that you're true to it, people who are kind. I, I cannot over and overestimate, especially in the world that we have today. The I had a priest during a homily say something, and it really has stuck with me. People who are impatient with other people are fundamentally saying that their needs and wants are more important than everybody else around them. It is the ultimate selfishness. And that's why impatience is a sin. Because if I'm standing in line, I need a manager, right? Because my latte wasn't the right temperature. Mm -hmm. First of all, there, uh, and I've seen this, there are children in Haiti right now that are eating dirt because it's the only way to make the hunger cramps go away because there is no food. And I'm ticked off that my fracamopa, whatever, is not the right temperature. Like, it goes back to, I, 
I bake bread. I love to bake bread. I love it when it comes out great. Sometimes it comes out like a hockey puck. When it does, I kind of laugh at it and put it in the compost. Like, okay, that's life. So people who can be authentic and can live their life in a way that they're kind to one another. I might not agree with you. Politically, religion, uh, more, I don't know, style of clothing, house decorations. I, I don't agree with you on it, but I need to be able to see the inherent dignity in you and, and decide like, is this, am I, am I assuming that my thoughts, wants, and needs are so much more important than everybody else that everybody else needs to do it my way? Are there not a hundred correct ways to do this? And, and, and lastly, people who and it could be the stupidest thing. It could be somebody who shows up once a year to help make a parish meal to raise money for St. Vincent de Paul for charity. Um, it, it doesn't have to be somebody who runs a multinational corporation like Jose Andres, but, but who tries to make the world around them a better place. Whether it's someone that shares vegetables from their garden with their neighbor or who volunteers making houses for Habitat for Humanity. I, I, those are the people that inspire me, people who remind me that we are inherently good, that there is good in this world, no matter how dark it gets. Like this, this epidemic is not going away, Julie. I, I just, I don't, I know people don't want to hear this, and I'm not saying we have to stay this locked down forever, but this virus is never going away. It is going to be there, and it's going to impact us until we can get control over it for months, if not a year or more, um, that, that we have to stop and we have to be kind. And I'm hoping that, that, like you said, that's the blessing of this. I'm hoping that it reminds us that our overscheduled lives with, you know, I got to do yoga and Pilates and I got to have coffee and I got to do that. And, and we're scheduled from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. And so we have to schedule everybody in our house so that we can do what we need to do so they can do what they do. And we've stopped talking to each other. Now we're back to eating dinner again. We're back to cooking again. We're, people are sitting around the table doing puzzles again. Right. And why are puzzles good? Because it's, it's one of the reasons why you and I, I'm sure, will agree. We lo I love baseball. Because I can take my kids to the stadium. And once we sat down, because the game's two and a half, three hours long, there's a lot of talking that goes on there. Yeah. Every parent who's ever dr loves driving carpool because that's how you find out what's happening in your kids' lives because they start talking in the car when they're not like glued to a device and yep, you know, <laughs> I, I love your selfie phase for those of you who didn't see what Dawn was trying to emulate some of those teenagers with a duck face. You make a very good duck face. I like it. You know what? I, I I'm, Whatever. I don't think anything is wrong. I think if you're unkind or you're hurtful to somebody else, that's wrong. The, the rest of it, but, it, but again, it's about doing things to excess. So, so you shouldn't exercise to excess. You shouldn't eat to excess. You shouldn't do anything to excess. I think that that's exactly why most of these, and, and, and without getting too religious or, or talking about, um, you know, the commandments, I, I was taught that the commandments are rules, sure, but they're also there to protect us from different things. And I think that anything to excess in this world, 
I happen to love a good glass of wine. As you can tell, I own lots of wine glasses. But I think that when we, that's when we get in trouble, when we go in the direction of doing something too much and forgetting everything else because we're putting this in front of it. We actually have been talking about in our church, we, I, I go to a non-denominational church, although I grew up in the Catholic church. My husband and I are both divorced. We, we have practiced spouses. So we made a decision to attend the church that, um, is, is really embodies a lot of our faith in in one of the things that we're learning is what are we putting in the in between right and what are we what are we um using to numb ourselves and this is something that our pastor had actually uh come up with even before this whole crisis and this has already had been planned and it's really gotten me to think that there's so many things that like you were saying we had been in a society and going in a way in which so many other things were put in front of to either numb the pain because maybe we're depressed or we suffer from anxiety or we were looking to avoid the circumstances where we hate our job. So we put all this in the in-between as opposed to turning to the things that really create peace and create joy and fill our cup in a positive way. So I think that I'm hoping that out of this environment and we we can create um, a sense of mindfulness, a sense mm-hmm. of um, a sense of new beginnings for ourselves and embracing the things that matter, like family time, like conversations and making a focus that we are going to have to reshift our mind and some of the things that we're looking to accomplish in our lives are still possible, but we need to give ourselves grace in the process to getting there. And I think, I think no matter what culture you're from, there's that notion of or religion or not religion. It's this notion that, that, that kindness and leaving the world a better place is a good notion. And I don't know if it's age and I don't, I don't know what it is, but you know, both my biologic parents are gone and my um, godfather, my adopted father is gone. And I've got little things that remind me of them and they become very precious to me. Um, and and because my parents passed, I, I got things from them that I would talk to my kids and because I'm looking at moving and, and I would say, well, do you want this? Well, that has no meaning for them right. because their memory... <laughs> See, the things that are valuable to me are things that I have memories on. And so are we, are we collecting things in our lives instead of people in our lives? Because I would argue that other than the fact that some archaeologist in 100 years is going to look go like, why did everybody have white subway tile in their house right now? Kind of like we <laughs> like, why did everybody carpet over this hardwood, right? Because of the property brothers and Magnolia. They exactly. all put that darn white tile behind all the kitchens Which they do. Fine. It's totally fine if that's your thing. Like fly your white tile flag, you know, like, but so in 100 years, you're going to find all this stuff and, and they're going to go, why was this important to them? And I can look at this and go, well, this is important to me because this is a picture of me and my sister in a wagon together. I think I have, oh, it's right here. How cool is that? Oh, I knocked everything off my shelf to prove my You're good. This is, this is me and my sister Look at in, Amy. A wagon in Miami. 
this is precious to me, right? Because this is, this is my person and that's why it has value. And what, and my husband's very much a minimalist. And so I've started looking around going like, why do I have this? And I know it's a very, and now it's a Maria Kondo, like if it doesn't give you joy, get rid of it. But it's really more about collecting experiences. And I would give everything in my house away to have another month with the people that are gone. So true. And to just sit and talk to them again and to, and to have those opportunities. I had a friend who passed away of a brain tumor a year ago this past fall. And in her last two weeks of life, we were fortunate enough to have a couple dinner dates with, with she and her, her wife. And, um, I had the opportunity cause I, I knew I wasn't going to see Kenda again to, to tell her how I really felt about her before when she left. And, and we don't do that. We don't, we don't call our, our family enough. We don't, we, we have excuses. Oh, it's too late. I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, and I hope that because we're home and we can't be running around as much that maybe we're doing some more of that reconnecting. Because I think that in our, in our core as humans, we're not designed to be alone. We, we, and I think that because we're not designed to be alone, that even an introvert like me is going crazy with my husband, who's an introvert, who's going crazy being in the house. Even he wants to get out of the house. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, And he's the biggest introvert I've ever met in my life. We are designed to be around other people and we are designed to give and share love and who designed us and whether it was, you know, spontaneous or not, we can all have a debate about that over a glass of wine at a future date. Right. But I think as w- going back to success, so it's, it's being kind and I've really learned to st- have deliberate thought in my life. I, I've learned, especially like over the epidemic, I don't like my comforter right now. So I've been shopping for new sheets. So I have like sheet sets and comforters and duvets in like shopping carts at multiple places because <laughs> there's that impulse of the marketing influence to go, 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 buy, 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 do, do, do. And that's the same ones that told us that we had right now, I guess we're all supposed to have big butts, duck lips, big, big boobs, right. tiny little face. We're supposed to be drinking Vegemite. I, I don't know what we're supposed to be doing. Um, and it's this great lie that we tell each other or the, or it's the marketing messages that have been effective that have, that have taught us that we need something that we don't really need. And what we really need in our lives is a sense of purpose and is a, and we need people in our lives that bring us joy. Right. And you and I believe this and I, I believe most people do. I believe that our, my, my mission in life is to come in and is to do good. And that, yes, there will be an archaeologist who will find the tiles for my kitchen. But my legacy and my memory will not be textbooks. It will not be journal articles. It will not be presentations at conferences. It will be the stories that my friends told about me. It will be the students that I mentored who felt empowered because they knew me. It will be the legacy that my, and I'm going to get choked up at this, but it will be the legacy of my beautiful, stunning, amazing daughters. That is what my legacy will be. And we spend too much time in the titles and the names at the end of the desk. And, and, it, and 
when you sit around and you talk about people that you knew that are gone, we talk about times that we laughed with them or cried with right. them. We don't talk about, you talked about your, your grandmother and these beautiful China sets, but your story was not about the objects. It was about the way she made you feel. And her legacy for me, and like you talked about the legacy that will live on through your daughters, I look at my grandmother and she was a strong, independent, successful woman that accomplished many things in her life. But the legacy of her life that lives in me is the legacy that she taught me to give back to treat others well, no matter who they're, who they were, whether it be someone that served us or someone that, um, was in power, um, in the country, right? In that, that we could have had multiple of these people at our, our dining room table at one point, but that legacy is the legacy that lives in me. And I'm hoping that we help other women as well know that they can be and do anything they want. They can avail themselves of the things that make them better versions of themselves, but also to make sure that they see the beauty that they have in themselves just as they are. And I think that that... I'm hoping that through these conversations, we continue to spread that message out. I, and it's, it, and it is, it is the message of success as a life. Well, well loved and well, well loved. And I think, I, I think you've summed it up right there. You know, that, that's, that's what we're here for. That's the importance in life. Right. And success is as personal as skin color or eye color or hair color. There is no one success. And, and how great is it that you and I have been talking for as long as we have today? And neither one of us have brought up wealth. Neither one of us have brought up status. And, and I, think, I, I think that's it right there. And that's why these conversations, especially for women, are important because we do, we do grow up from a very early age with very conflicting messages. That's right. And, you know, women have, I would argue to you that we need more women at the table because frankly, we haven't been at a table and I don't know anyone who thinks anything in the world is going the way that it should right now. Well, I'm a big proponent of being at the table, pushing myself in and making room for the next woman to come and sit next to me because we need, we need us all to be there. And for those who are afraid of being at the table or for those who don't think they belong or for those who feel like why bother be at the table? My message is, if we don't take the chance to do it now, then the girls that come after us will continue to not know that they belong. Well, and like, I think Rosa Parks was an amazing human being and I have an immense amount of respect from her and she's a Shiro in many sense. And she was brave and she was courageous and she was alone. But you know what, you know why she did that? She did that because she was influenced by a million people over a million occasions to know what was right and wrong and to stand up for what was right and wrong. 
And so for every one person who breaks through that glass ceiling, there are hundreds, if not thousands, that sat there and and weakened it. So all it needed was that one one more to break. And so, yeah, I mean, if if, if no one ever knows my name, and it was funny, I went back to my high school reunion and nobody did remember me. <laughs> I was so forgetful. And I'm like, yeah, you don't remember me. I wasn't, I wasn't worth remembering in high school. Now, my youth group friends, they remember me. Listen, you are a superstar. I, I don't know that I was a superstar. I just, I finally found my tribe. And I think, I think, and I don't mean that in like a negative, I know for some people, especially people who are, disenfranchised, the word tribe has very personal meaning and they don't like us other people using it. Right, right. But I finally found my group. I found my group. You found of, your people. I found my weirdos. <laughs> and, and I, and I believe that this group of weirdos, and I did not get a chance to go to the New Life reunion last summer, and I'm really sorry that I didn't get a chance to do that. Um, but I love the fact that 30 years later, most of us still connect at, at a at a fundamental level that there is a bond, like the Michael W. Smith song says. And, and, and to close this out, because I could talk to you all afternoon, but really, I know. Uh, and a friend's a friend forever of the Lord's the Lord of them. And I go back to that song and I believe that it, it rings true every day of my life. I look back on our, our formative years as years that have created in us purposeful, uh, mindful women who continue to do the best they can through everything that who they are and, and what they do. So I, I cannot be more grateful for the two conversations that we've had because we did chat a little bit yesterday and I, I definitely can talk to you all day, but I want to be sensitive to, to obviously, well, one to, to the, the executive producer of the show hashtag handsome hot husband who will be editing this and uh number two i i definitely want to have you another period of time and have you come back maybe after things are going to whatever new normal it is so that we can dig deep into the conversation of how to create that new normal for kids because i think that a lot of people are going to be looking for that uh, tangible things, but I want to inspire women through the conversation that we had today to go out and be servant leaders, be fearless, be resilient. And listen, if you're standing in line and it's taking too long, occupy yourself. Don't be upset about it. <laughs> yeah. Use, use that time to just breathe. And, and, and when I, I do, I find myself getting aggravated. Well, cause I got to get out of here. Then you know what? It was my fault that I went to the grocery store when I only had 10 minutes to do it. I should have been a better time manager because if I only have 10 minutes to go to the grocery store and it takes 11 minutes to get out, then that fault was on me. It wasn't right. on the grocery store. And so just, just take that moment to breathe and be present and say, is this something I'm going to remember? And I think that's a thing that I do in my life. Am I going to remember this in six months? Cause if I'm not, I'm not wasting time on it, but if I will, then it's worth spending time. And I, I, I thank you for honoring me for being here today. I think what you're doing is powerful and yeah, if you're, <laughs> I'm thrilled to come back anytime. Absolutely. And people can find you on social media and through the channels. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm on, I don't even know where my, <laughs> so my I will put it on the show notes, but you're on Facebook. One. Yeah. My professional, if people want to follow me professionally, I'm on Twitter and I am at Dawn Mox, D-A-W-N-M-A-A-K-S. Um, my Facebook and my Instagram and the rest of that's private because that's the real me. <laughs> I like but the real you and the professional you, but I think that, again, people need to get the privilege to get to know you personally but, before yeah, they can yeah. follow you there. So. Nope. And just, just be grateful. Be grateful and be kind and... It's that golden rule, right? Do unto others as they do unto you. And um, without getting too ha- sappy, I'm sure your husband will edit this out. I'm I'm so blessed for our friendship, friendship. of decades. Me too. I, um, I, I am extremely me. blessed as well. You inspire me and the work that you do and the goodness you. that you put out. So thank you. This has been Thank fun. you for your it time. Nice to meet the hot husband, at least by his voice. <laughs> Listen, we're going. We're we're. I already promised Paul and Kamala we're going to make our way out to the Pacific Northwest again. Oh my gosh, so. yes, yes. Yeah, as soon as away. So we have a guest room. If you if there's d- is not available. Yeah. All right. I'd love All that. Right. Well, thank you, my darling. Love you. Bye. Have a good yes, afternoon. Nice. You too. <laughs> Bye. I love talking to all these amazing women. Every conversation is so full of joy and insights, inspiration, and really laugh because we did laugh. It's nice uh, speaking with old friends. Oh, and by the way, little fact check on this here. You're fact checking me? I am fact checking. I hate it when you fact check me. Just a real quick fact check. For the love of God, Daniel. You said that when you were a senior in high school, Dawn was a freshman in college. When in fact. I said she was a senior in high school, and I said I was a freshman in college. So I guess you can correct me. You can rewind the tape. Uh, when, in fact, you were a freshman in high school when she was a senior in high school. Is that correct? That is correct, Daniel Collins. All right. Maybe I'll put the actual truth right here during the edit. That's so nice that you can do that. By the way, I was thinking I'm going to pull out my roller skates because I have them upstairs. Go roller skating, Daniel. I don't have any. They don't make any in Sasquatch size. Wow. Dang it, I checked. She was right. Thanks for joining us this week on the Casa de Confidence podcast with Julie DeLuca Collins. Remember to check her out on Instagram and Facebook and always click subscribe to catch every new episode. Remember, leave a review so we can continue to bring you fresh content. And as always, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. everybody. I know that sometimes we get very lonely in this entrepreneur journey, and I want to invite you to join us into our limited time only Purposeful You Mastermind. For many of us entrepreneurs, we believe that we can do it all, but the reality is that doing it alone only creates a lot of overwhelm. So join us at the Purposeful You Mastermind. You can find out more information by 
going to bit.ly forward slash Julie's mastermind. This is going to be the place where you are able to then unlock your full potential and achieve long-term success for your business, push you behind your current limits, expand your connections, discover new ideas, and implement them with confidence. You're going to get the support in all aspects and transforming you to the six-figure business you've been looking for. Pause and get off the hamster wheel if you've been spinning around. This is a time where you can get that support from like-minded entrepreneurs that are here to join you in your journey. Together, we can challenge the assumptions and land the speaking engagements and opportunities we want to grow our business and make an impact in the lives of people. See you then. Remember, you can find the mastermind at bit.ly. Julie's Mastermind.